Welcome to the Nole Family Podcast, the podcast dedicated to Novak Djokovic, tennis champion, philanthropist, humanitarian, and all-around good guy and role model. And of course, to the Nole family, all the fans across the world uh, cheering on Novak, his exploits on and off the court, and uh, sharing that information on social media all over the world. Uh, today we come to you, my name is Craig, we come to you about a week after Wimbledon, so a couple, week and a couple of days. Certainly there's been a lot of analysis out there, I'm sure you've read a lot of the analysis uh, articles and video podcasts, etc. on breaking down point by point Novak's win and his run for seven consecutive wins, only dropping two sets. So I'm not going to get into too much of the details shot by shot, but I wanted to cover a couple of things that I think maybe some of the mainstream media may have missed or overlooked in terms of the storylines of this great champion and getting the first three Grand Slams of the year. I want to give a shout out certainly to Gil Gross with his Monday match analysis and also recently he had on Steve Flink as he always does after the Grand Slam events and a great breakdown of the the tournament and Novak's run there. Also, uh, Tennis Unleashed is a video channel on YouTube by Jason Frausto. Uh, He does a good job of presenting some videos of Novak's you know, his matches and breaking down shot by shot and some of the strategic elements of what he did to, to achieve the Wimbledon victory. Um, I want to give a shout out also to some of the key members of the Manoli family, uh, Reggie, Pavi G, Christina, and Julie, who are doing a great job. They were just right in, in the middle of the action at, at Wimbledon in London and sharing everything from the from the practice courts to getting together as a group. It was really fun for us, us Nole family who couldn't be there in person to see that and to share in that experience kind of, uh, you know, through their through their uh, attendance at, at Wimbledon. So that was great to see and, and kind of linking all the world of Nole family together. I wanted to talk about, I, th- I want to bring up three key points that I think, again, I think some of the mainstream media may have overlooked these points in terms of the brilliance of Novak Djokovic and what he did at Wimbledon. Uh, starting with number one, uh, a lot of folks have said that it wasn't Novak's greatest performance in a Grand, grand Slam, and I certainly think that's, that's a valid point to make. Um, but I think you have to take this Wimbledon run in the context of what happened at the French Open prior to this. Number one, how grueling those last four matches were. Um, you look at the you know Musetti, he, he beat him in four in five sets coming back from back from two sets down. A grueling late night match, you know, against Berrettini in that in French Open in four sets as well. Um, you know, he, went, he loses the third set tiebreaker and wins the fourth set. And then of course a semi with Rafa four sets and then the grueling five setter in the finals. And you know, moving that French Open a week later and rolling right into Wimbledon, it certainly presented a unique challenge for Novak to, to make that stretch with such a short time span between those two and to win at what they call, of course, that channel slam. And I think you only have to look at the other semifinalists from the French Open and see how see what happened to them post-French Open. Uh, Zverev was, he played to the semifinals. He, he was knocked out in the, round, in the fourth round of Wimbledon, and he played one less match at the French Open than, than Novak did, of course. Um, Nadal also only made it to the semifinals, so he played one match less. He sat out, he, now he's sitting out Wimbledon and the, the Tokyo Olympics because he was physically and emotionally exhausted, according to his people. And then Tsitsipas, who again um, was knocked out by Tiafo in the first round at Wimbledon. Again, just looked like he had nothing in the tank, maybe emotionally. He just didn't seem like he was into that match as, as he should be coming off of a, you know, a, a finals run into French Open. So if you look at the toll that it took on those three players and look what Novak accomplished, you know, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been uh, surprising for Novak to come out and not have his best, but um, he, he came out, lost that first set, and just ripped Draper apart and, and proceeded from there to not lose another another uh, set for a long time in that, in that really till the finals at Wimbledon. So I think if you take those two stretches together, 
While you might say the run he had of those seven matches wasn't as grueling or exhausting as some of his others, not as spectacular in terms of winners, etc. I think if you take that in combination with the French Open, the short period in between, the emotional toll of those and physical toll of those last four matches rolling right into Wimbledon, it certainly is amazing what Novak was able to bring to the table. Again, it wouldn't have been surprising if, if somewhere in this, this Wimbledon run, he just would have ran out of gas after what he had been through. But to, to take it all the way and win this, this Grand Slam in the first three of the year was just spectacular. Number two, again, getting to that point of people saying that wasn't his most brilliant performance. And I think that what they're referring to there is just in terms of the, you know, the number of clean winners. He didn't have that back, backhand up the line, clean winners, um, you know, redirecting those shots. Um, and I think that was a lot of that was by design. But I think if you, if you look at physically, maybe it wasn't his most brilliant performance. I think you have to look at strategically how spectacular it was. And what I mean by that was, you know, mentally in this Grand Slam at Wimbledon, I think Novak was perhaps the best I've ever seen him in terms of strategy. I think in this tournament, he exploited every weakness of every opponent. You know, in some, in some cases, it was the backhand. That was certainly the case with Berrettini, getting the ball to his backhand and being able to deliver on that shot. Sometimes it was, uh, you know, he knew this opponent had a lack of patience, so he's just, he was just able to continue to keep those rallies and be solid in the rallies until his opponent lost patience and tried to go for a big shot. I think some, in some cases, and this was the case with Shapovalov, I think he knew that um, Shapo would have, would, there were certain points in that match where Shapo would really feel the pressure. And so I think you could see, you know, it's, it, particularly in that first set when Shapovalov is trying to serve out the set, um, I think Novak, you could see him step up his game and his intensity at that point in the match. And I think it's because he knew that Dennis was going to start to feel the pressure right there, having to close out that set. And he really ramped it up and played a, a big game in that moment. And so I think strategically, all through this match, he just identified what was going on with his opponent, uh, what was the pressure point, what was the shortcoming of his opponent, what could he exploit, and he delivered on that expertly. And I think that was just so... From a strategic standpoint, from a mental standpoint, I think this is one of Novak's finer moments. And so if, if you want to say you know, physically, maybe in terms of the quality of the tennis, overall, um, it wasn't his best performance. Uh, that maybe that's a valid point. But I think strategically, you know, Novak, as he gets older, is winning a lot of these matches with his mind and doesn't have to rely on the physicality of the, of the points and of the match to win. Um, number three, I think something that gets lost in the shuffle as well. And again, I, some, there's some mainstream media that really look at this performance as ho-hum. It's Novak again. He's, he's, he's just being solid. He's, he's breaking the guy down. He's just not doing what he can do to, 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 not, to beat himself. I think what they really miss is how, how Novak so consistently makes ridiculously difficult things look routine. We see that over and over again. You know, there was a point that I shared in the match against Shapovalov where, you know, Shapo hit a great return um, cross you know it was from the ad court Novak hits a blister a bit of bit of serve and he and Shepovalov comes back with a blistering shot cross court from corner to corner and catches Novak you know leaning into the court and he hits the exact right at the corner of the of the court and by all means this should have been a clean winner for most against most guys but Novak reaches back on a with a short backhand um, the ball is behind him it's a, it's a difficult ball to get to. He hits it on a short hop, hop behind him and hits a perfect shot, you know, kind of a lo- half lob to the, to the corner, gets it back in play within a foot of the baseline right back in the corner up the line and just neutralizes that point. Now, I want you to think about that. In most cases, Dennis is going to get an outright winner. 
against any other opponent. Even if another opponent does get the ball back in play, it's probably a, a next shot done for Shapovalov. But in terms of Novak, he's able to get that ball in play far enough back in the court to neutralize the point, and again, he eventually wins that point. How many times do you see Novak have a lunging return of serve, a ball that most guys couldn't even get to, get back in play, and he gets it within a foot or two of the baseline and neutralizes the point. Now, those shots don't come off as spectacular because they're not a big backhand that somebody hits to win a, to win a point. It's usually not the last shot in the point. It's usually an incredibly defensive shot to help keep the point alive. And Novak is able, as he brilliantly does, turn defense into offense. So, again, I think sometimes we get lulled into this idea that you know, it's not a spectacular victory for Novak because he makes ridiculously difficult things look so routine. And it, it, it's what we get desensitized to how brilliant some of those defensive shots are. Um, and you look at the service returns, you know, some of those uh, incredible service returns. You know, the, the percentage of returns that he had against Berrettini versus what the other opponents of Berrettini had during the, the course of that Wimbledon run, just such a higher percentage. And again, other players are just very much caught off guard by the percentage of returns he hits in play. And again, far and deep enough in, in spots where they pretty much neutralize the point. So um, another great performance. What a great time to be in Noli family. Uh, three straight. And again, I know there's a lot of focus on the U.S. Open because it would be the calendar slam. But let's just take in these first three. This accomplishment in and of itself, whether or not Novak wins the U.S. Open in New York, winning these three on three different surfaces in such a short time frame is just brilliant. And even if he comes up short at the U.S. Open, which we hope he does not, this has been a brilliant run and something we should all be proud of, and it's certainly that he should be proud of. One of the most spectacular runs of his career. Again, 8 of 12, the last 12 Grand Slams held, he has won. A couple other things I want to mention. You know, Novak, it's, it's been pointed out that while... You know, Nadal seems to be showing some more wear and tear on his body through all the injuries. Um, and, and again, at the point where where Federer is in his career, being through two, through through a couple of knee surgeries, and again approaching forty years old, um, they're starting to show some of the wear and tear. But it's been pointed out that Novak, even at the age of 30, 34 ish, is looking ten years younger. And I want to point out a couple of reasons why I think that is the case. And I pointed this out on Twitter. You know, if you read Novak's book, Serve to Win, he talks about switching to a gluten-free diet and how he, was, he had a lot of reactions to the foods he was eating prior, and it really changed, his diet really changed his health, both mentally and physically. But he also said that he quickly lost eight or nine pounds as soon as he went gluten-free within a very short period of time. And there were those in his camp around him who were concerned that he was going to lose strength. And Novak said, you know, I felt stronger even at a lower weight. So I think that's been key. He's been able to sustain the same kind of strength, but do it at a lower weight. And you think about what those eight, nine, ten pounds of you know what that put, the kind of strain that that puts on the joints, the knees and the legs and the ankles over the course of the last you know uh, ten years since he's gone to that gluten free diet, ten or eleven years, that has really helped him maintain the health and maintain that you know that the 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 movement on the court that he had even as a much younger younger player. Also, I think there's another thing that's energizing uh, Novak. This is the second point I wanted to make with regard to how he seems so energetic at at an advanced age. Um, You know, I think there's always been this weight on Novak. Even when he first came into prominence at number number one in 2011, winning three Grand Slams and moving to number one, you know, there's always been sort of this weight of the chase after Roger and Rafa. He's always had that big number to look at up to. 
ever since he began to win Grand Slams consistently. Um, and I think finally hitting that 20 mark is going to take some of that weight off of him to, to know that he's finally... It's like looking up at a mountain. When you finally get to the peak, you start to take a deep breath and really take it all in and, and to enjoy it. And I think that's really having a positive impact on Novak. I think it's helped him energize to, you know, to stay energized through a tough period where you have a lot of matches in a short period of time. Um, also, I think you look at, you know, not just the weight of the chase, but also the fact that this, Novak's always been kind of the third guy to come along in this big trio. And the spotlight has always been sort of on those guys, even when Novak was playing at his peak, having great years like 2011, 2015, and 2016. Um, the spotlight's still been kind of on those guys because they led in that Grand Slam race. And I think clearly this Wimbledon may be the first time that the, the, the spotlight was almost exclusively on Novak. I think you look at, you know, Nadal wasn't here at Wimbledon. Um, you know, although Federer was here, he's played very little tennis the last you know, year and a half. And I think there was certainly a sense that his health was not quite there and his game was not quite there. And I, I, while people hoped for him to make a run, and who were Roger Federer fans, I think most people acknowledged that it was unlikely that he was going to get deep into this semifinals and maybe the finals of this tournament. So I think Novak is really relishing, I think, the spotlight. I think it's really refreshing for him for this to kind of be his moment to shine. And so I think those two things, the, the weight loss from the gluten-free diet, and I think also the fact that he's finally gotten to that mountaintop and this tennis spotlight is to some extent on him. I think he's really relishing that this moment. It's been you know, something to look back on, but something that's helped energize him as well. Um, something I want to mention also that Gil Gross, I mentioned his uh, video uh, show with, he had Steve Flink on, and he also does a Monday match analysis you know, in solo. Um, he mentioned in his, his first post-Wimbledon analysis before he had Steve on, he mentioned no player delivers on his skill set as consistently of no, no, as Novak. And I think that really brilliantly encapsulates the, the, you know, the strength of Novak is that all the weapons that he has when he's on his game, he consistently, consistently delivers. I mean, we know other guys who can be spectacular in moments but don't have the consistency. Even when they're playing well, we don't expect them to see them win runs like Novak has had, three out of four in this, in this day and age, um, five out of six, whatever the case may be. I think Novak, when his game is sharp, when he's playing well, comes to the you know comes to the gate, ready to play and ready to deliver, and really delivers on his on his skill set consistently. I thought that was very, just very well put. He's he really brings everything to the table, and you can count on him to deliver the skills that he has and be consistent in his in his game. Um, and also, you look at again the, the array of serv- of the, the array of skills that he has nowadays as he as he gets older. It's really serving him well. I think you look at you know some of the things we saw from Novak. He did a decent amount of serve and volley, more so than we've seen in him in quite a while. And I think he knew that you know there were going to be moments in the, these matches where he wanted to plant the seeds in the opponent's head that he would come in behind these serves, especially when they were predictable in their uh, in their returns. And I think you've seen that a lot. Obviously, the, the the net game has been has been spectacular. Um, again, if you look at serve and volley and net game, uh, Novak's percentages were much higher than the field throughout Wimbledon. Again, the drop shot working well. He used it a lot at, at French Open, of course, so it was fresh in his in his array of of, of skills, and and obviously works well on grass as well. And I think you you only need to go back and look at some of those matches from 2010 to 2011, specifically some of those U.S. Open matches where he's playing against Nadal. And Federer, I've watched a lot of those, you know, over the years and a lot of those replays. And you just look at those. That was such power tennis. I mean, it was just 
Haymaker shot after shot after shot, just big booming shots, ground strokes over and over again, back and forth. And I think you see such a different game from Novak nowadays with so many skills to bring to the table. And I don't know where the table's really turned. I know at some point in Novak's career, he looked very uncomfortable a lot of times going to the net because his baseline game was so good and so overpowering. But um, I do recall that in the French Open in 2016 when he finally broke through against against Andy Murray. Um, it was really impressive. I think that day he went to the net 33 times and won 26. So I think it was very impressive. That was the, kind of the, the, the watershed moment for me where I really recall that he, he used his the, getting to the net often and was really highly successful in a big moment. And there were probably times before that that I'm not recollecting, but that really seemed to be the one that really sticks out in my mind um, and finally broke through the French Open. So as we look ahead, of course, um, there was a lot of you know conversation about whether Novak would would actually go to the Olympics, and up until the Wimbledon win, I thought you know for certain he would be going to Tokyo again because of the emotion of the loss to Del Potro four years ago or five years ago in 2016. Um, now after the press conference at Wimbledon, he was kind of hemming and hawing whether he would be you know he was a little bit undecided, but he quickly you know came back and said no, I'm I'm going to play this. His 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 allegiance and his um, is really patriotism to, to Serbia and the joy that he has representing his country is really strong. And I think as, like we certainly hope and pray. I know there's been some outbreaks of, of COVID again. We're starting to fight through this again, these different variants, but I hope he stays healthy and safe throughout this, this, uh, this Olympics. It certainly will be a, it certainly will be a, a wonderful moment for him to shine again in certain is serving his country. And also in a, in a period where there's so many eyes looking on Novak because he has these three behind him and that, that golden slam is still in, in play. So we hopefully uh, he'll stay through helpfully and hopefully get out with a gold medal. We certainly hope to see that as well. I know there are some folks who have dropped out on the men's side, but there's still a pretty quality field out there. A lot of good players. Uh, a lot of the top 10 guys are still going to be there. So it won't be easy and it will be a challenge for, for Novak. Um, moving ahead to, of course, the U.S. Open, um, it's me selfishly. I'm I'm more I'm more concerned about the the calendar slam than Tokyo, and the reason being, I've said this before, but in the United States, if you're a United States Novak Djokovic fan, right now there's really a lull in terms of the mainstream media covering tennis because there's no, you know, there's no dominant U.S. players like in the years when Agassi and Sampras were strong, or be before that when Borg and McEnroe and uh, excuse me McEnroe and Connors and those guys were around, but. Um, but I think winning the calendar slam is the one thing that would get mainstream media to take notice of what of what this great athlete has done. And when you talk about some of the the awards for athlete of the year crossing all sports, I think you certainly once he gets that fourth that that grand slam in the calendar year, first one to do it since '69. I think those publications and those awards will take notice because I think it's just something you can't ignore, even though in the U.S. You know, football, American football and basketball are kind of the main sports, and then baseball and hockey to some extent. Uh, you really have to acknowledge what a brilliant uh, achievement that would be. So I hope, my, selfishly, I'm hoping that he does get that calendar slam, irregardless of what happens in Tokyo, but it would certainly be great to get all five. Um, so the Noli family, again, thanks to all of you for sharing all the information on, on um, social media and keeping us all informed. There's been some great statistical numbers people are sharing, too, in terms of what how these guys stack up. I know there's a lot of goat debate, and we can get into that later, but um, some of the numbers really favoring Novak at this point, um, especially since he's taken, you know, got, got to the tie of the Grand Slams. But obviously there's going to be a tough field at the U.S. Open. A lot of the next-gen players who are pushing Novak and Nadal and these guys um, 
are much more confident on the hard court. So I think there's just a, a larger number, pool of players who feel confident on the hard court. So that's one thing that makes it more difficult for Novak. Once you get to that maybe fourth round and beyond, you're going to have guys who have a little more confidence on the hard court versus grass where they're still kind of learning the game. And also you're going to have, I think there's no, you know, there's no secret that Nadal skipped these last two because he wants to be solid for the U.S. Open. He said success here more so than at Wimbledon. I think he knows that what's, it's going to be at stake for Novak. And I think he would love to be, it would be such an epic final if you had uh, Nadal facing off against Djokovic. Both guys at 20, uh, Nadal and Djokovic perhaps going for the calendar, maybe even the Golden Slam. What an epic uh, matchup that would be. Of course, a lot has to happen for that to, to, to get to that point. But I um, certainly hope, it, hope it's going to be a great tournament. Certainly, it's, it's as much anticipation for this Grand Slam as I would say any, any uh, Grand Slam event in men's tennis in some decades. So it's going to be fantastic. Again, thanks to Nole family. We'll be uh, keeping in touch. We'll get into the podcast again, hopefully, once we get into the U.S. Open and we'll stay informed. Uh, but until then, good luck to Novak, and thanks again, Nole family.